Once you've marked hymn number 270, as Brother Harold asked us to do, and we'll sing that in just a few moments at the conclusion of the lesson, it might be well to begin again by noting how blessed we are to be able to come together this evening, so many in our world perhaps encumbered with illness and health or other things that have prohibited them to come, and yet we've been blessed with health, the character of mind, and an opportunity to come together even on this occasion, and how thankful and blessed we ought to feel that we are in that way. It's so good to come together any time that we can be with brethren and to offer our thanksgiving unto the great God that made us and the one who sustains us from day to day. And in fact, speaking of that subject, may I direct your attention to an interesting Old Testament character to which we will, in fact, look to regard for the next few moments tonight. As you can see, the title of the lesson will surround the character of Naboth. That interesting individual nestled near the end of the book of 1 Kings and just as we discuss him, almost immediately to our mind may be conjured various thoughts and ideas. Might I encourage you over the next few moments to study this one and to extract from his life things that may be a great advantage and great benefit to you and me. By way of introduction, might I note to you some things which you need not specifically be told because they're not new to you. You know that, in fact, many of the characters in the Bible, as they are revealed to us by the great God of heaven, are individuals who can serve to you and me as dramatic examples. On the one hand, there are those who are brilliant examples of righteousness and goodness. How wonderful it would be to be described in some ways as, for instance, Enoch was, or even Job, or even some other characters like Paul to have that character individual. But on the other hand... We can also learn from those who did evil. And those who did wrong, we can learn not to follow them. We can learn not to walk in their footsteps. Tonight, as we study Naboth and consider the example of his life, may we each be challenged to be not for sale. Let me explain what I mean by not for sale. In fact, we'll do that over the course of the lesson. In fact, as I begin, as we begin... Notice with, you, with me, if you would, that we live in a world in which pressures are exerted upon us from any number of angles and any number of sides. And quite often those pressures are extremely strong and powerful. We have each been in circumstances, maybe it's not that pleasant to even recall them, but we've been in instances where we were perhaps in a group and there was a pressure to conform. There was a pressure to, in fact, be like the group or the audience. There was a very real and overcoming pressure. As we shall see tonight, that's not something that in and of itself is bad. But rather, it's one that must be dealt with and dealt with appropriately. Naboth can serve to you and me as a dramatic example of one who did that. The consequences are so strong. To begin the lesson, we need to first remember the setting of Naboth. What was it about this man that could serve as an example to you and me? First, some history from the closing chapters of First Kings. On this particular occasion, we might note that the principal characters that will serve as those that we will return to time and again in the lesson. First, there was Naboth, but also there was the man named Ahab who was the reigning and ruling king of Israel at this time. His wife was named Jezebel, and she too will have a role to play in this scenario. 
Finally, as we conclude this, we might note that Elijah, the great bold prophet of God, will be named as well as, of course, God himself. All the while, we might note that the reading is a bit lengthier than what we might choose to read, for it all begins in chapter 16 of 1 Kings and continues by and large to the end of that book, chapter 22. If you would rehearse with me over the next moment or two the historical setting and then the lesson will be obvious. Ahab at this time was the king over Israel. We might remember that by this point in Israelite history the kingdom had been split. There was a southern kingdom known as Judah, a northern kingdom known as Israel, and Ahab was the seventh king of Israel. We might note in 1 Kings 16, verses 28 through 30, a description of this man is given, and it is not a good one. It is, in fact, expressly noted that he did evil above all that were before him, walking in the ways that were not pleasing unto God. It is certainly not a notable thing to have that describing a person, given that the description is from the God of heaven. We especially notice that this one, this man named Ahab, though he had great prominence in the sense that he was the son of Omri, one of the best known kings of Israel, he nonetheless chose to live his life in a way that rebelled against the God who in fact was the God of Israel. He chose to walk expressly in the ways that were rebellious to God. All the while, we notice he even compounded that problem by the person whom he chose to marry. He married none other than a woman named Jezebel, who was a Zidonian princess. She was such that she, of course, was the daughter of Ethbaal. But what's more, she introduced, basically, the worship of Baal into Israelite history. What a sad and sorry scenario indeed. From that point onward, Israel was plagued by the worship of Baal. And by and large, Ahab and his wife introduced it into Israel. Isn't it amazing when one thinks about Jezebel and Ahab, what a dramatic influence they had for generations to come and an evil influence at that over the Israelite peoples. But in addition to mentioning these, consider with me that the two had very little, in fact almost no respect for God ultimately. And that brings us to the introduction of Naboth into this whole issue. For you see, the king, namely Ahab, the capital was in a city known as Samaria. And in that capital, of course, was the grand palace. But, as is often the case even today, a king will have another house, another home somewhere else. Ahab had a residence also in the little village of Jezreel. This was some distance now from the capital of Samaria. But interestingly enough, right next to the palace in Jezreel, there was a man who owned some land. This man's name was Naboth, and this vineyard that he owned adjoined the property of the king. Isn't it interesting that the king, namely Ahab, desired that vineyard? He, in fact, fell in love with it to an extent, and he desired it for his own. This very chapter in which we have already noted tonight illustrates that the only reasons that Ahab mentioned for desiring that vineyard were these. First, he said to Naboth, it adjoins the property. As such, I would like to have it. And he noted also for us that it would be convenient for him in terms of having the things that that vineyard could make, that it could produce. Isn't it interesting to notice that in Ahab's desire, here was the most powerful silver ruler in the land. He was the king. 
In a very real way, he had access to so very much land or property or other possessions, and yet this other gentleman, namely Naboth, it would appear, had little else but this vineyard, and yet the king desired it. The king wanted it for his own. Isn't it an amazing thing that we now come to ultimately what the offer is that's made? In his desire to have it, Ahab offers Naboth the following, I will give you a vineyard, any vineyard you'd like, if I can have yours. He desired to exchange vineyards. But even if that wasn't satisfactory, he said, I'll give you money for it. I'll purchase it. I'll buy it from you. You name the price. Can we not see immediately that in this, Naboth had a grand opportunity to arrive at a great sum of money. Here was the richest man in the empire willing to pay his price for a parcel of land. Would it not be the case that many in our day would take advantage of the king if he offered such a thing? How many in our day and time would multiply the rightful price by about a factor of a hundred and thus gain the riches of the king's empire? You see, we're beginning to appreciate Naboth had a tremendous opportunity. How would he respond? What would he do? What decision would he make? As the chapter unfolds before us, notice with me some of the things that immediately take place. Naboth refused to sail. Notice again with me verse number 3. 1 Kings 21, verse number 3. And Naboth said unto Ahab, The Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. Naboth was not interested in selling at any price. In essence, he loudly and very powerfully proclaimed, Not for sale. That very thought, though, almost immediately redounded to difficulties in Naboth's life. For we might well remember that after Ahab was rejected, after Naboth refused to sell, Ahab went back to his palace somewhat forlorn and depressed, and might we add immature. For it would seem that he refused to eat, and what's more, he was such that his wife noticed his difficulty of mind and the disposition that was troubling him. She came to Ahab and said, Art not thou the king of Israel? What troubles thee? When Ahab informed her of the fact that it was the vineyard of Naboth and he couldn't have it, she in fact challenged him by the following words, Art not thou the king of Israel? As she made that statement to him, she said, Take, eat, and be merry. I will give the vineyard unto thee. She had the idea in mind at that point to satisfy Ahab's desire and immediately she produced a scheme, a concoction, if you will, whereby she achieved her goal. I've listed on the wall some of the items that were part of that dreadful, dreadful episode. In fact, it begins with perjury. It begins with forgery. It includes murder. It is a tale that even some of our best television sitcoms today cannot equal. It all began as follows. Jezebel's scheme involved this. She, in fact, took some letters from her husband with the king's signature and his seal of approval upon them, and she wrote these letters unto those who were the civil officials in the city of Jezreel. In those letters, Jezebel had the following things done. She said, Lift Naboth up on high. Proclaim a fast, and as you lift him up on high, give great honor and respect to him. 
but just as surely as you respect him and honor him among the people, you designate two as false witnesses, who, while lifted high, will accuse him of blasphemy against God and blasphemy against the king. In response to that accusation of blasphemy, you take out Naboth and have him killed. Lo and behold, as those letters were sent, it all came to pass precisely as Jezebel had orchestrated it. And once Naboth was dead, Ahab proceeded to take possession of the vineyard that he was unable to get lawfully. It was at this occasion we noticed that God was not unmindful of what had happened. And on this occasion, and oddly enough, as Ahab was going to take possession of the very vineyard, God dispatched Elijah, the prophet Elijah, to go and to meet with Ahab and to inform him of something that would make him shudder. This is what Elijah told him. He said, Thou hast troubled Israel, for thou in fact hast been the one to work evil amongst the people of God. And what's more, Ahab, let me tell you, Elijah said, the dogs that licked up the blood of Naboth will lick your blood too in the very same place. Don't you know that chills rose up on the back of Ahab when he heard Elijah say that? Don't you know that he recognized the greatness of the power of God because it had been a few chapters earlier that on Mount Carmel God had proclaimed victory to the very nature of Elijah's words. We begin to see that though before Elijah was finished, he said, and what's more, that wicked woman Jezebel, the dog shall eat her. You see, the end, the punishment would come to both of these for the evil that they had wrought. The very story, of course, is an interesting one in its own right. But might we again return to the thrust or the character of the lesson tonight? What about this not for sale? Not for sale? Notice with me some lessons that you and I might glean from the very character of Naboth as we remember the stance he took in protection of what he recognized was right. I mentioned at the outset of the lesson this evening that you and I face a host of pressures, forces, if you will, that come about us from every side. Let me think for just a few moments about some of them. First, note again, Naboth had what the king wanted. Here was a powerful governmental official, in fact, the most powerful in the, in the kingdom. And Naboth had what he wanted. Could we not then fairly say that this request that Ahab issued to him was really an order. Who among us today would have the fortitude to stand up to a high official, be it in the state or in the federal government, and refuse to give what we had every right perhaps to give? Naboth would not come so easily to give what he wanted. He withstood the pressure. He refused to give that which was the thing that the king desired. Even today, think about some of those pressures in an interesting fashion that many of us face. Let me speak to the young people for just a moment. We know that perhaps in the days of youth there are various pressures, forces, propensities that can seem so terribly strong. And to those of us who are older, if we will but turn back the clock in our mind, we can remember some of those situations. For example, how often might it be that a young person in every bit of innocence imaginable is invited to, say, a gathering of other young people who are trusted and who, in fact, are also recognized, as far as the young person knows, to be honorable and admirable. When only it is realized after one arrives at the party or get-together that some of them are not what they appeared to be. 
there are things that are talked about and things that take place that are not only not wholesome, they're outright ungodly. There are things that can occur that, for instance, suddenly there's beer on the premises. There are cigarettes passed around. There are drugs that are encouraged. Those who are older at school, perhaps in the influence that they attempt to exert, can exert tremendous forces. If you want to be accepted, just take a little bit of this beer. It won't hurt you. Do you want to be a goody two-shoes all your life? Don't you want to have a little fun and enjoy some of what this world has to offer? That becomes all the more pressing when we think about what may run through that young person's mind. For after all, on the moment, he is faced with a dramatic decision. If he or she is too young to drive, what do I do? Do I stay here and take these things or perhaps try to abide with it for a while? If I call home and ask my parents to come get me, I'll never live this down. They will rag me about this and insult me about this for years. I'll be called a mama's boy or a daddy's girl. You see, on the heat of the moment, that becomes a dramatic decision, doesn't it? It becomes an incredible and powerful way in which Satan has you in a powerful position, doesn't he? The forces to conform. To be like the others in the group, no one wants to be an outcast. And yet that young person faces a dramatic and powerful decision. Might we even at this point notice Naboth was not for sale. Young person, don't you be for sale either. Don't let the forces that may be placed upon you cause you to do something that you will regret. Don't let those forces, in fact, cause you in the heat of that moment to do something that, in fact, will harm your good name. That will cause you, in fact, to be less than what the reputation your parents would love you to honor and to have. I know the difficulty can be great, but don't cave in. You see, the very things, like Naboth was not for sale, don't you be for sale either. But just as surely as one might mention young people, we who are older are not exempt either. Think about some of the pressures that you and I may face. Those from, say, our neighbors or maybe even family members. Others who may be our employers or our fellow employees. Perhaps it's merely acquaintances with whom we, in fact, share our various hobbies. Quite often we may be encouraged too to engage in something, to participate in something that is not only again dishonorable, but in fact is extremely tarnishing to the reputation of Jesus. Quite often we realize, especially when trips are taken, perhaps a business person goes on a distant trip and a long way from home where no one knows him or her, things can be considered, activities may be approached that are truly not good. Again, sometimes that can happen in the heat of what is presented. As the co-workers or the other members who are there involved in that meeting, they're all going out after the ending of the day to perhaps some kind of a bar or some other kind of place. And they very innocently invite you to go along. Do you go or do you not? Again, it can seem such that it might cost you a raise. It might cost you an elevation in the company, the person in charge, the manager may have less respect for you, what will it be? For the sake of achieving greater money or prestige or fame, will I go or will, like Naboth, I be not for sale? It's a sobering thought, isn't it? What about those other instances, perhaps during the time of year, when others whom we know may, in fact, 
cheat on their taxes, and they do so and smile about it and think it's cute. They encourage us to do the same. There's no harm. The IRS will never know. Isn't it tempting sometimes to listen to others and to have them talk about things like that? Again, not for sale was Naboth. The sturdiness and strength of Naboth's character becomes the more impressive when we stop to reflect on what he had to face. These pressures that you and I face, you see, are not minuscule, and they are not minor. As you and I have faced them, we know it takes fortitude. It takes an absolute conviction in the stance that we must take. If there's any doubt, often we'll be talked into it. We must go into the situation fully affirmed that what God has said has always been and will always be the way that's right. And we must never compromise it. We must never be for sale with regard to these foibles of Satan. In the things that we've seen to this point, isn't it amazing, as I've listed there the last thing on that screen, that the very situation in which Naboth found himself is played out in form over and over and over again. And we have each been there on at least one occasion, I'm sure. May we have the strength that Naboth had. But even though that first lesson seems so potent, let us yet look at another one. Another consideration from the life of this man of so long ago. It is the case regarding Naboth. The very thing to which we can turn our attention is the very fact that it was his integrity that was absolutely unsellable. Oh, the land itself was certainly important, but what Naboth had in mind was even more so than that. For notice with me the statement that was read by Adam a little bit earlier tonight. In the words of Naboth, why did he refuse the king's offer? Let us read that verse again. Verse number 3, 1 Kings 21. And Naboth said unto Ahab, The Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. What reason did Naboth give Ahab for refusing to sell, for refusing to exchange the vineyard? He began by saying, The Lord forbid it me. Where had God told Naboth not to sell that vineyard? If Naboth was poor, couldn't he have used the money? There was something more important here than money. There was something of greater value at stake. In Leviticus 25, verse 23, God had given statements centuries earlier that the land of Canaan and the land of Palestine was to be closely guarded. It was to remain in the families to whom it was originally divided. It was not to be sold. It was not to be traded. It was not to be moved outside that family. In fact, even in those instances where dire situations arose, as, for instance, a person got into debt so much so he could not pay and had to sell the land to pay his debt, it was nonetheless the case that God still said that when the year, the appropriate year comes, it is to revert back to its original owner. Even then, it was not perpetually held by the one who bought it. It had to be returned to its owner when the proper year came, and that year was no later than the year of Jubilee. Isn't it amazing then the land had that much importance, and Naboth's first reason to Ahab, God has forbidden me to sell it. Young person or older one alike today, why should we be not for sale? If our reason goes no deeper than something to do with this life, that reason's not deep enough. Our integrity, in fact, has eternal value. 
Our integrity is that significant. We must always closely guard and recognize that that character we have, that good name that's ours, the life in Christ that we exemplify is something that is of great, great value indeed. The word that God has delivered unto us helps us appreciate the very thought and notice with me some of the other texts that lead us down this roadway of consideration. Notice that Naboth refused to sell even though the thing that came to him was awful. It cost him his life. Are you and I as concerned about the things of God as we ought to be? Would we rather sell out and thus lose our character and integrity and gain some measure of fame here but lose our favor with God? That's a losing exchange. Always has been, always will be. Jesus stated, did he not, in Mark chapter 8, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? In fact, if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul, he hasn't won anything. On the day of judgment, don't we each know that a person who is not right and knows forever that heaven shall be barred from his view, he would trade everything he ever had or ever did to just be right with God at that moment in time. You see, Naboth, in refusing to sell, understood the character of being right with God, and that was the most important to him. Is it the most important to you and me? Is it not said in Proverbs that the way of the transgressor is hard? Proverbs thirteen fifteen. That certainly has not changed any today. If you and I transgress the way of God, oh, it's true that Satan may work things out in the short run that we may experience the goodness and brotherhood of those who are also of like kin with Satan. But in the final analysis, we will not have won anything. In fact, we will be found bereft of every goodness that God has in store eternally for those who are His own. That's a sobering reflection, isn't it? You see, we too then must be not for sale. Be we young or old, be we man or woman, it matters not. We need to be converted completely to Christ and to not be those who would sell our integrity for anything, our devotion to Christ for anything our agreement with the great God of heaven for anything. Some other texts that challenge us in this way. Consider Proverbs, Psalm 15, verses 1 through 5. That's the entirety of this short chapter, and I would ask that we read that together. In Psalm 15, verses 1 through 5, listen to David as he exclaimed who it is that is approved in God's sight. Who it is that's pleasing to him. Who it is that garners the favor of the God of heaven. As David describes it, it indeed reflects so grandly on the character of Naboth. Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor in whose eyes a vile person is contemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord, he that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not, he that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent, he that doeth these things shall never be moved. Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Lord, who shall dwell in thy holy hill? God, who is it that's favorable in your sight? And we've just noticed the listing. 
those that seek to work righteousness, those that seek, in fact, not to advantage themselves of others, those who will not turn and backbite against somebody else, those in whom a vile person is contemned, those, in fact, who out of a pure and clean heart will motivate themselves to do the things of God. Naboth was not for sale. David said, We must also out of a clean heart be not for sale. For the verse ends with verse 5 saying, Those that do these things shall never be moved. But notice some other texts, as for instance in Proverbs 28, 6, in Isaiah 33, verses 16 and 17. In each of these instances we gain yet another reflection, another approach to the beauty and power of the grandness of integrity to live right in the sight of God. One of the most favorite verses of some people in regard to these thoughts has to do with the good name as it's mentioned in Proverbs 22.1. Would you reflect only about that? A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. If we remember that the person who made that statement, the person who in fact ultimately wrote that was Solomon. Solomon was the richest king that ancient Israel ever had. In fact, it is stated in Second Chronicles 1 that rocks were like silver there in the land of, of Jerusalem. When we stop to remember that he also wrote that same verse we just noted, that a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. Young person, don't ever sell out. Let your integrity, your character, your disposition to follow the goodness of God be not for sale. Older person, similar statement. May you and I be never for sale. May we have in bright words upon our forehead, if you will, in a poetic statement, not for sale. Satan may try to buy us, to purchase us, to gain within us a temptation to cause us to fall and to exchange what is so eternally valuable to what is ultimately meaningless. May we never be for sale. A good name is rather to be chosen. In other words, given the choice, Solomon said, would you rather have riches, namely silver and gold, or would you rather have a good name? He said the good name is preferable to choose. The good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor again rather than silver and gold. The same writer, just in case we missed it the first time, used a very similar statement in Ecclesiastes 7, verse 1, where there he said a good name is more precious than fine ointment. In that day, the ointment was of such great value. It had within it the character of perhaps being worth far, far more than many other things many people possessed. And yet the writer said that a good name is even worth more than that. Your, your good name, dear friend, be you young or elder, your good name is worth so much. The others in the community, when they hear your name, think about a noble person who is honorable and with regard to all things good in your life. Do they recognize you as a member of that Pippin Church of Christ whose word is your bond and who does not backbite against anybody? Do they think about you as an individual, on the other hand, who's willing to be less than honorable when situations present themselves? Willing to perhaps deceive or to mislead just to get out of a bond or to get out of a tight spot. Not for sale was Naboth, even though it ultimately was something that cost him his life. And again, that was a tragedy. May we realize that we too must be not for sale because eternity is worth far too much. 
it isn't worth, worth it all. To think about these things leads us perhaps to the closing part of our lesson. In 1 Peter 3, verse 16, in the heart of the New Testament, the inspired writer Peter there notes that even you and me as Christians feel a very similar role to that of Naboth because we should desire to so live in a way that those who would speak evil of us will ultimately come to realize the error and sadness of their blasphemy because it was all in error. There wasn't any truth in it. What about your life then in mine? Your disposition with regard to God in mine, not for sale. Let that be our cry. Tonight, if you need to become a Christian, you need to begin anew tonight with a recognition that Satan's had you too long. It's time to turn and give your life to Jesus. Relinquish control of Him and let Him be the director, the guide or of your life. And as such, He will be the very one who is Lord of all, Acts 10.36. With Jesus as, your, as the one who is piloting you, you realize that that plane will ultimately land at heaven. He'll lead you along that pristine pathway that leads from this life into an eternity beyond. And so with thoughts like that one, let us conclude our lesson with some final remarks about Naboth. Just as surely as we've looked at these things, there are aspects of it that have been disturbing, but there have also been aspects that have been encouraging. And our focus has certainly been tonight not on the wickedness of Ahab, but on the choice made by Naboth. We've encouraged ourselves to also make similar choices in that we too desire to never sail but to be right with God. The final issue then, the final thought, no for sale sign here. The Pippin Church of Christ doesn't have one up and we shouldn't as individuals either. What about you? Do you need to come back then to the Lord? If you have become a Christian at some future time or some previous time, but you need to return to that fold of love because you've sold out. You gave Satan an inch and he took a mile. He always will. You need to give him a swift exit to your life. Didn't Paul say to the Romans in the opening verses of Romans 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. If we could be of any assistance to you in accomplishing that as you become a Christian or to renew your life to Jesus, let us be there to aid you in that way in whatever way we can while together we stand and while we sing.